Hello and welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. We appreciate you joining us through this podcast. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for joining us and enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here. Thanks for being here today. I see a lot of new faces, so thanks for coming out. appreciate having you here. And again, if you're new, I've just encouraged you to go ahead and fill out that Connect card in front of you. It's just really helpful for us to know that you are here. And then also, I'd like to just send you a, a thank you for being here. So I appreciate it when you do that. All right, so right now we're in the middle of a message series called Family Ties, Characteristics That Connect Us. And it's a series about the importance of the local church becoming our family, becoming like a family. It's, it's one of our goals for 2019 is to develop more of that family feel here at Lighthouse. And uh, last week, we had a message titled, A Family That Prays Together Experiences More of God's Power. And it was a message about the importance of getting together as the church family and spending time in prayer. And uh, we had two points. We can see more of God's power when we pray earnestly, which uh, if you were here, you remember that was um, a point that talked about it's important to emotionally get involved in our prayers, to actually care about what we're praying about and not just to recite some type of prayer, but to actually get emotionally involved into it. And the second one is to combine our faith, because when we pray by ourselves, there are times when our faith isn't very big. And uh, it's, there's a lot of power when we gather together and combine our prayers together and our faith is built on top of that. So my hope is that we as a church are going to be spending more time praying together. And again, as a reminder, there's two opportunities that we have officially here at the church. It's every Sunday morning at 9.15 in our green room is an opportunity to come and just pray for our church service. We had a group of, I don't know, maybe 10 people in there this morning, and they were all praying for all of you. So, and they were praying for me, praying that I wouldn't screw it up, Matt. I mean, that's what they're hoping, you know? And so there was prayer that was happening then. And then also every Thursday night at 6.30 in our multi-purpose room, we spend an hour and just spend time praying for the church, praying for our community, praying for our uh, country and our world. So I just encourage you, if you want to kind of gather together with the church body and join us in prayer, those are open times to come join us. So today we're going to be continuing our series. I'd like to start by sharing a memory from high school. So when I was in high school, I played football and I was a running back. And, uh, and I loved running behind this guy named Jerry Weinberg. Jerry Weinberg was like six foot two, 250 pounds, and he would make like the biggest holes uh, in the defensive line, and I would just run straight through that hole and get, you know, five, 10 yards every time I ran, just because nobody would touch me for the first five or 10 yards. It was wonderful. And so one game, my senior year, we were coming against a small school named Burr Oak. Anyone ever heard of Burr Oak, Michigan? Yeah, there's a few of us, right? Tiny little town. I don't even know if they have a high school anymore, but they had maybe 50, 60 students that would graduate every year, if it gives you an idea. And so whenever we would play Baroque, it was like, all right, this is an opportunity for me to get a lot of stats. You know, I should get a lot of yards, should get a lot of touchdowns. I was really looking forward to it. 
And so we got to the game, and one of the first plays in the first quarter was a halfback um, dive right behind Jerry Weinberg. And I'm like super excited because I'm going to, you know, go maybe get a touchdown, that kind of thing. And so I remember getting the ball, and almost as soon as I got the ball, I got hit in the backfield. You know, it was by this little defensive tackle. And, you know, because they didn't have a very big team, and he hit me, and he kind of stood me up and dragged me down, and I fell down. I was like... Well, that was odd. That doesn't usually happen. And then throughout the game, that happened play after play. I, I would try to get the ball, and I would try to run, and there was always this little guy in the backfield just badgering me, you know, just slowing me down, and then the rest of the team would get to me. And, and at the end of the game, I don't even think I got 100 yards. I mean, I just kept getting knocked down, hit in the, in the backfield. After the game, I went to Jerry, and I was like, Jerry, what happened, man? I mean, I just kept getting hit in the backfield. Well, Jerry was this big bruiser, but he was also pretty soft-hearted. And he said, well, you know, the guy was so little, I didn't want to hurt him. So I just let him, let him through. Like, really? Jerry? The guy had the game of his career, you know, just that game. Not Jerry, but the other guy. Anyway. So Jerry Weinberg had a role to play, and it was to block this guy right in front of him. And he didn't do it, and it messed up you know, the rest of the team. It messed up our plays. So my question for you is, have you ever had that happen? Where somebody on your team or you know, in your office, possibly working on a school project, um, and they don't fulfill their role. They don't do their part. I see a lot of heads nodding, like, oh yeah, we've been there before. Well, when they don't play their role, it messes everything up. Here's another example. I was thinking about this this week. Had you ever helped somebody move, and the person who is, uh, that you're helping move feels so bad that you're helping them that they spend the whole time like running out ahead and grabbing boxes because they don't want you to carry any more boxes than necessary. But every time you carry a box into the house, what happens? You don't know what to do with it, right? Because the person who's supposed to tell you where to put it is out grabbing another load from the truck. You know, so just, just advice, if you ever move in your life, your job when it's time to unload is to stand inside the house and just tell people where to put things. That's it. That's your job, okay? Because if you're out in the truck, I mean, everybody just stands around and nobody knows what they're doing and, and you put boxes in the wrong place, you have to move them twice. So... A role of somebody who is moving is just to stand there, you know, and let people carry all of the heavy stuff for you. I'll give you another example. If that one didn't relate. So Kenny and Kelly, uh, Kenny Beachy and Kelly Earl are getting married in two weeks. Two weeks from today, right? Yeah, so I'm excited about that. I don't know. Are they here today? Huh? Where Where are you guys at? Oh, there they are. All right. Why don't you guys stand up? Let's just acknowledge them. So, yeah, they're getting married two weeks from today. Are you guys ready? No? <laughs> Kelly's going like this, and Kenny's like, yeah, we got it. <laughs> so we met with them this week to finalize the wedding ceremony plans. And uh, I was just talking to them about who's going to be in the wedding. And, and Kenny reminded me of the four guys that are going to be you know, standing up with him in the wedding. And I remember going, oh, yeah. I need to have that conversation with the guys. So at every wedding rehearsal, I have a conversation with the guys, and I just look them, because it's, 
you know, guys are guys, right? I mean, you don't know what they're going to do at a wedding. And I just remind them, your role is to simply stand there and look good. That's it. Don't do anything else. Just stand there and look good. You know, and maybe we'll let you escort the ladies out on the way out. But your job is just to stand there. And the reality is, is that's their role. If they do anything but that, it messes up the wedding, right? I mean, if they come late, that's a problem. You know, there's a hole missing up there, you know. Or if they're talking or goofing around, you know, any of those things, you know, it just kind of messes up the wedding. So that's their role. And in life, we all have these different roles. We can kind of think of that, different situations where we have an assignment, we have a role to play. And if we don't do that, if we don't step into them, then things just don't go well. Well, that's also true in the church. In the church, there are roles to play as well. Here's a scripture I love from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. It says, from him, which is Jesus, the whole body, which is the church, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so the church is built up as each part, each person in the church does their part. Each person has a role. And so when we don't play those roles, Things don't go very well. The church body is hurt. So think about that. Just hold on to that for a second, because we're in a series about a healthy church. And so we've been studying the first church. We've been studying the first church that formed after Christ's resurrection. It's, it's in the book of Acts. And so we're going to study from that today about how important it is for each person to take on their role. You can turn there if you would like. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6, but I'll also have the scripture up on the screen. It's a story about the early church's growing pains. Okay, so the church is growing quickly. They're adapting, and they're making a few mistakes along the way. So the, the church has grown, and so the widows in the church have come to the disciples for food. And so they've set up a food pantry, a, a daily distribution of food to the widows, but things aren't going very well. All right? Things aren't going very well. They're missing some of the widows, and there's some complaints that are happening. So we're going to try to learn from their experience as we grow as a church how to avoid some of these growing pains. So uh, we'll be in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. 
So today's message is titled, A Family That Serves Together Advances God's Kingdom Together. And it's a message about the importance of each one of us stepping into our roles within the local church. But let me pray, and then I'll give you two points that you can fill in on your handout. So God, we come to you right now, and we thank you for the church. We thank you for uh, the models that you've given us throughout Scripture of how we're supposed to actually do church together, Father. So I pray, Lord, that you would help me to communicate your heart on this matter, and that you would open up our ears, Father, to receive what you have for them. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so you can fill this in on your handout. Point number one, when we serve in our God-given roles, number one is the quality increases. The quality increases. Acts 6.1 says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, what you do over here? Anything? You know, no? Riley, I just got to keep an eye on you, right? Um, let me start over. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 disciples had a good heart, right? They wanted to take care of these widows who were you know, going without food. And if you've ever been over in a third world country, um, widows are some of the most poor people in the country. It just, it's what happens over there. And so it really makes a lot of sense to me. I've seen this before over in Africa. And uh, so, the, so the, um, the widows are coming to the disciples and saying, can you distribute food? I mean, we need something to eat. And so they've set up this plan. And they're doing their best to, to execute the plan. And they're just not doing a very good job. So it's causing frustration in the church. You know, Some of the widows are coming away with too much. Other widows are coming away with nothing. And so um, they decide to assign this to seven different individuals and have the process go through them. Uh, and things get much better. Things get much better. I'll give you an example of this. Um, so last week, we had a carry-in lunch here at the church. And uh, um, it was, I was super excited about that. We had Linda... Uh, Rice was part of, or she led it, and Amanda Betzer led it along with the, the catering team. And uh, I'll tell you, it was a wonderful event. I mean, most of us were here last week. The food was great. Uh, it was really just a wonderful time. Planning a carry-in lunch is not in my area of gifting. Just so you guys know that, it's just not in my area of gifting. And so um, if we didn't have these individuals to plan it and execute this carry-in lunch, it would have been left up to me. And it wouldn't have looked quite the same. I'll just tell you that. If I was in charge, we probably wouldn't have had those beautiful centerpieces. You guys remember those? Those were really nice. Weren't they, Matt? I mean, they were really nice. Thanks for making those. No, I know you didn't make those. Um, we uh, probably wouldn't have had those matching tablecloths. They looked really nice out there. In fact, we might not have had tablecloths at all if I was in charge. Uh, the tables were all set up. The chairs and everything looked really nice. Um, I probably would have said, hey, after church, can you help set up the tables? You know, we get them set up. You know, afterwards, they wouldn't have been set up probably ahead of time. And instead of having the, the forks and the knives set up as nice little place settings, you know, in, on the tables. I probably would have just had the boxes over here and said, just grab your own, you know, plastic ware. And then they had this wonderful cooked chicken and ham, like home cooked. It was so good. I probably would have gone to Martin's and picked up some chicken, you know. 
I wouldn't have made anything. And, and then we had this wonderful cake. It, was, it was a, ended up being like a birthday cake for me. It was kind of that surprise, because I turned 50 this past week. I, I feel it, by the way. I'm about ready to take a nap right now. I mean, if you can see that. <laughs> but I'm almost ready to. Um, but they had this really nice, it looked like a log, and it had like antlers on it. It was just like a really cool birthday cake. Tasted really good, too. I wouldn't have had that, of course. I w- might have had a, a box of cookies, you know, that I picked up and set those on the side. And in all honesty, if I was in charge of the carrying lunch, we might not have had it at all. Um, just because I, it takes me a lot of time to work on a message every week. So I just may not have had the time to even organize the box of cookies and the Martin's chicken. But because we had Linda and Amanda and the catering team in charge, they did a fabulous job. They were working within their giftings. They were fulfilling a needed role here at the church. And because they were in charge, the quality was much better as well. Now, Peter and the other disciples, I'm guessing food distribution isn't one of their top skills, you know? They were gifted in teaching, evangelism, healing, and discipleship, but not food distribution. So by assigning it to somebody else who was called to it, maybe better equipped, the quality increased. We all have a role to play. Every single person in the room today and outside the room serving in children's ministry has a role to play. There's a vineyard value that goes back to the start of the vineyard movement of churches back in the 70s. And it was stated by John Wimber. He went on to say, everyone gets to play. He would say that a lot. Everyone gets to play. And what it meant was that there is more to church, more to ministry, more to being a follower of Christ than just standing on a stage preaching a message or standing on a stage leading worship. The people who are on the stage are fulfilling a role. I'm fulfilling a role, but I'm far from being the whole body of Christ. There is so much more that needs to be done within God's kingdom. And God has called and equipped each of us to fulfill a role. I'll give you another example. So I love missions. I love going on mission trips, short-term mission trips. But I don't feel called to go on a long-term mission trip. There are those who are called and equipped to go and stay for not, not just a week or two at a time, but to stay months or maybe even years to minister to those around the world. So one year, I took Katie Giese with me on a mission trip to South Sudan. And Katie Giese is our director of children's ministry here. And she just fell in love with the ministry over there. Here's a picture of Katie over in South Sudan. I don't know if you can tell who she is, but she's the one on the <laughs> second one from the left. It's Katie. All right? So when she went over there, she fell in love with these, these children. There's 130 children who are orphaned by war, poverty, and disease over there. And she said, I want to go back and help them. Well, the children uh, experienced war locally and had to be evacuated to a refugee camp in Uganda. And uh, Katie ended up talking to a family that was living just right outside the refugee camp, and they needed a tutor to come and help them with their children. And so she had a conversation. He said, she said, would I be able to go and actually spend time in the refugee camp on the weekends and things like that and spend time with these children? And they said, yes. And so Katie prayed about it and decided to go over to Uganda and spend 
it was really going to be eight months over in Uganda to help this family and also to continue to do ministry in this refugee camp. Katie's, by the way, is over here. Why don't you just raise your hand? So everybody knows she actually exists, real person. This is the family, Wendy and Sid Harper's family. You know, they look so cute and innocent, don't they? Well, I got to meet these kids, all right? It was different. So anyway, so her parents looked at me and said, our baby is going over to Africa. You know, I mean, they had tears in their eyes. They were so worried. I said, I will personally take her over with me. And she'll go over when we take a team over to Uganda to see the kids. We'll spend a week together. I'll meet the family. I'll make sure that everything's okay. I won't just drop her off at the end of the, the runway. You know, I'll make sure everything's okay. So, so we went over there, and I'm doing this kind of this fatherly approach with Katie. She, she remembers all of this. I'm like, I'm going to make sure you're okay. So we went over to visit this family on Thursday. It was the next day we're going to fly back. We had been there for a week. And so we go over and have, I think it was like uh, dessert and worship is what we were going to do. So we went over there to meet this family. And those nice, innocent looking kids were a terror. I mean, I will just tell you, they were running around, screaming and all this. We finally got them settled down, all right, so that we could do some worship. And then they had these dogs. And these dogs were outside and they got into a big fight. I mean, like, they're like, like tearing each other up. I mean, like, it was a big fight. And so the kids are screaming, and they go running out the door. I'm like, what is going on? And we're just trying to sing songs of worship, you know? And they just, wow, they go outside. And then, and then they're screaming. The, the kids start screaming. And, and then in comes these kids bleeding. And then the dogs come in, and they're bleeding. And there's blood on the floor. And there's this whole mess going on. And I'm like, we got to get out of here. I'm going, there ain't no way I'm leaving Katie here. There's no way. We're going to have to drag her home. We're going to have to get her a plane ticket, you know, all these things. And so we get in the car to leave, and I look over at Katie, and I'm like, what did you think of that? <laughs> Katie looks over at me, over at me, and she, her eyes are wide. She's got a big smile on her face, and she says, that was so exciting. <laughs> and I went, Really? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> she was wired for that. I, I was not. Just so you know, I could not have stayed there, but Katie was convinced this is where God had called her. And she was super excited about it and ended up spending the next eight months ministering to this family and also to the kids at Dreamland. God has wired each of us perfectly to fulfill a role in his kingdom. Everyone has a unique set of gifts and experiences for the role God has for us to play. I want to give you another example from the Bible uh, of Moses. We're going to talk about Moses. Moses was uniquely qualified to lead the children of Israel out of slavery and into the promised land. He was. He was uniquely qualified. We've, we've all kind of heard about Moses, heard about the parting of the Red Sea, the 10 plagues, you know, all of those things. But I want to talk about how he was uniquely qualified. Just a few things. First of all, he was an Israelite. The Israelites were only going to follow another Israelite. So it was important that he was an Israelite. Secondly, he was born into an Egyptian family. He was adopted in, if you guys remember the story, and so he understood the Egyptians, and he understood their language. He understood their way of life. In fact, he was, through adoption, 
actually related to several of them, right? He was a shepherd for 40 years. So for 40 years, he lived out in the wilderness and and spent many, many evenings in the wilderness. And later on, he would end up leading the children of Israel through the wilderness on this huge camp out for 40 years. He had learned how to read and write as an Egyptian. This was something I thought about later on in my Christian walk. That he actually, reading and writing is, is a very rare thing, especially back then. And um, he had learned how to read and write as an Egyptian, and then went on to write the first five books of the Bible. If you think about that, the reason we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is because Moses was uniquely qualified. He understood, he knew how to read and write because of his early training. Moses was uniquely gifted for this role, but yet he didn't feel qualified for it. In fact, he didn't even want to do it. So I'm going to read a couple of scriptures about when Moses is called into action. It's, it's the burning bush experience, if you kind of heard that, that word before. It's when God shows up to Moses. He's out on a hillside in the wilderness tending sheep. I mean, that's what he does by himself watching over these dumb animals called sheep. That's what he just did day in and day out. And he'd been out there for 40 years. He had left Egypt 40 years earlier. And so he sees a burning bush. It doesn't burn up, so he thinks that's strange. So he goes over to it, and God starts to talk to him out of this bush. And God's calling him into action. Now, we've already stated he's uniquely qualified. God sees all of that. God knows the future. God knows the past. He has prepared Moses for this assignment. So God calls him and says, I need you to go back to Egypt and free my people from slavery. And there's about a million people here. All right, so a lot of slaves are going to get pulled out of Egypt. But his response in verse 11, he says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? His first question is, I'm not qualified for this. Who am I? Have you ever felt that way before? You feel called into something, whether it's in a church service or maybe you hear a song or maybe it's when you're reading your Bible, and the very first question that comes into your mind is, well, I'm not, I can't be qualified. Who am I to do that? That's Moses' first response. Well, God says, hey, Moses, I'll be with you. Don't worry. I'll be with you. And this is what Moses says to God in verse 13. Well, suppose I go back to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I, what shall I tell them? By the way, God has incredible patience, just so you know. Like, what's, what am I supposed to tell them? What's, what's your name? And God responds, I am who I am. That's who sent you. I mean, just, just powerful words there. He gives Moses some more instructions, and then Moses says in verse 1 of chapter 4, well, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, well, the Lord didn't appear to you. So God gives him some magic tricks. He says, well, take that that staff that you have in your hand, throw it on the ground, and it becomes a snake, and then you grab its tail and it becomes a staff again. So it's just got this magic trick. And he says, also, take your hand and put it in your cloak, pull it out, and it'll be leprous. Then you put it back in and pull it out, and it's not leprous anymore. So does that work, Moses? Will that work? 
Verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. So he's God, I mean, this is God speaking to him, and he says, I, I can't speak. I can't speak very well. I'm not a public speaker. Excuse me, God, don't send somebody else. I mean, that's what Moses is saying. God says, oh, don't worry about it. I'll help you speak. Aaron will help you speak. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. But then in verse 13, the heart of the matter comes out. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Moses doesn't want to go. I mean, that really was the issue from the beginning. Moses doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to do what God has for him, even though he is the perfect person for the assignment. And God's proven it to him and shown him that he'll, he'll go with him. He just doesn't want to go. And if Moses doesn't go, what's God going to do? God's going to have to try to find somebody else, right? He's going to have to try to find somebody else, somebody that maybe isn't as qualified or as experienced as Moses to execute the plan. Well, I've been there before, guys. I mean, more than I can count the times that God has asked me to do something, and I just, I just don't want to go. I don't want to do it. Send somebody else. I don't feel qualified. There's got to be somebody better than me. Can't I just sit here and watch Netflix? I mean, that's what I really want to do. Um, many times, Rose and I will get invited to a birthday party, a graduation party, you know, wedding, things like that. And, uh, and honestly, I enjoy going to those things. I'm a people person. But in ministry, sometimes when you spend a lot of time with people, you can kind of get all peopled out. And I just want to sit at home in my pajamas you know, and watch Netflix. And, uh, and I'll go, ah, man, I just don't want to go. And Rose will look over at me. Are you sure we shouldn't go? Like, what do you mean? Do you think we should go? Yeah, I think we should go. Oh. And so I agree, because she's always smarter than me anyway. And, uh, and she's always right in these situations. Other situations, I'm right. Not very often, but. <laughs> and so I'll go, you know, grudgingly to some of these events. And I'll tell you what, I'm, I will have some great conversations with people I haven't seen in a while. Maybe we'll even have some God conversations. And I'll leave there energized and excited that I went. But in my heart at the beginning, I just did not want to go. I felt like Moses. But how about you? How about you? Is there something in your life that God is calling you to? He's, he's already shown you that he'll be with you. He's already shown you that your experiences make you uniquely qualified. And yet there's a, a thousand reasons in your mind why you want to say no. It could be God's calling you to go on an international mission trip. But you've come up with a hundred reasons why you would never Go on a mission trip. Could be that you're supposed to talk to that neighbor next door who hates you, but you're supposed to go over there and show them love. 
could be that you're supposed to volunteer here at the church or join a group and you just don't want to. But God is calling you to do it. This is a super convicting verse to me. James 4.17 says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Man, I read that verse and God spoke it to me and I said, Oh, Lord, couldn't we have just stayed on the Ten Commandments? You know, I didn't kill anybody. You know, all those things. Go through just the Ten Commandments. Why'd you have to come up with this verse? If you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, it is sin for you. Man, that's convicting to me. So what reasons have you been giving God lately for not doing what God has called you to do? Because here's the deal. God calls each of us to different roles. And when we don't step into those roles, it hurts those around us. And, we, and when we don't step into those roles within the church, the church suffers as well. Things don't get done as well. So you can write this down. When I say no to my calling, someone else will feel the pain. I know it's painful sometimes to step into our callings. It is. But if we don't step into them, somebody else is going to feel the pain. All right, so that's point number one. When, each, when we each serve in our God-given roles, the quality increases. And I'm going to touch briefly on point two. When we each serve in our God-given roles, the quantity increases as well. It gets better, and we get more done, right? So again, in, uh, going back to our scripture, verses 6 and 7, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, those seven were just taking care of the food. They didn't actually increase the word of God, right? They didn't do that. But it says, because they stepped into their role, more people came into the church. More people became Christians. More people were healed because they stepped into their role, which relieved the disciples to be able to do what they do best. Now, when it comes to Lighthouse, when it comes to our local church here, there isn't any one role that's more important than another. I'll just tell you that. My role is not more important than your role. You know, this is just the role that I need to play. It's what I've been called to do. But I will tell you, if I came in here early on Sunday mornings and made the coffee, and then I opened up the doors and I greeted everyone at the front door, and I came up on stage and led the uh, worship rehearsal, and then actually led worship, did the announcements, did teaching, led prayer, and then said goodbye to everyone and locked up the building and cleaned it, swept it before I left. I wouldn't be good for anything. I just will tell you that. And when God calls us into two services, which I believe God is going to be doing that soon, and I'd have to do that like twice. I mean, I'm old. Did I tell you? I turned 50 this last week, right? I couldn't do it. And honestly, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to. But because we have a coffee team, and because we have greeters, and because we have a cleaning team, and we have a worship team, and we have children's ministry workers back there, you know, because we have all of these people that have been rolling up their sleeves to get things done, then I'm able to do what I am called to do, which is to preach, 
which is to pastor, you know, which is to lead this church. So we all have a role to play. Here's an example. Again, we're talking about Moses. It's later on in Exodus chapter 17. They are now moving into taking the promised land, and so battles have begun. So let me start with verse 8. It says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of your men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. So if you can kind of imagine this, Moses is standing up on a hill, and he's got the staff that, you know, remember the staff that turned into a snake? You know, he has the staff in his hand. He's raising both hands, and as long as he's got both hands up in the air, his army is winning. But you guys have done this before, right? You've raised your hands up here, and you've held them, and it gets a little tiring, right? And then we kind of get down to, hey, this feels good. You know, but he's, he has a staff in one hand. And as his hands go down, he watches, and his army is, starts to lose. I mean, people are probably getting killed. And so he raises his hands back up. And he's doing this as long as he can. But he just can't do it any longer. And every time his arms get tired, he looks out and watches his army start to lose. People are dying. And so... I love, you know, he's got these two, two men, Aaron and Hur, who come beside him. And first thing they do is say, here, they roll over a stone and say, have a seat, Moses. And then one got on one side and one got on the other, and they raised and lifted his hands so that they could win the battle. You know, you might think at the end of the day that Joshua and the army were the heroes, right? I mean, they were the ones that won the battle. Or you might think, you know, Moses, it's because of you, our leader. You had your hands held high. That's why we won. But honestly, guys, the heroes of the story are Aaron and Hur. Without Aaron and Hur, the battle would have been lost. So for our church family to be healthy, we need some errands and some hers, right? We need people who are willing to selflessly hold up somebody's arms. We need somebody who's selflessly willing to take out the trash, to order coffee cups. You know, all these... All these, all these places that are really not known. I mean, we have dozens and dozens of people who are serving on teams today. And nobody knows it. They think it's just the people who are up on the, the stage, but it's so much more. We need some people who are willing to selflessly serve within the church. Because in God's eyes, I believe those are the heroes. 
I couldn't lead this church without all of the people, with many of you already today, standing beside me and helping to hold my arms up. I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. So you can write this down. If you really want to be a hero at Lighthouse, volunteer to serve in children's ministry. Talk about some bends and some hers. Do you guys know that in every church I've ever been in, children's ministry is always understaffed? This one included. We're short about eight people right now. Yeah, eight. Now we're getting by. We have a bare bones crew that's doing it today. But to be fully staffed and prepared to go into two services, which we hope to do later this year, we need about eight more people to serve. And why? Why is it so hard? Well, only some people are called to serve in children's ministry. I'm not one of them, just so you know. I've done that before, and that's not my gifting <laughs> or calling. Praise God. But there are some people who are. All right? And so it's a hard place. So not everybody's called to it. It's a hard place to serve because you miss the service. You know, it's a very self-sacrificing place to serve. But if you want to be a hero at Lighthouse, I mean, you might even get a phone call from me saying, thank you. <laughs> Sign up to serve in children's ministry. You can fill out the card, by the way. The card in front of you is a place to say, I'm interested in volunteering here at the church. And you can sign up for children's ministry, greeters, ushers. We need all of those positions filled. So I'd encourage you guys, if you, if you feel like God's calling you to get more involved in service, go ahead and fill out a card and just turn it in at the Welcome Center. When we all step into our roles and giftings and say yes, instead of no or maybe or later, I will tell you the kingdom of God will move forward. So that's when the quantity increases as well. I'm going to invite Krista to come back up here. We're going to move into prayer. Um, I do want to invite you guys to a uh, workshop that we're having in two weeks. It's on Wednesday, March 6th at 7 o'clock. It's called Discovering Your Spiritual Gifts. Because I would believe that there are some people here today who heard me say that everybody's wired, everybody's gifted, but you really don't know where you're gifted or how you're wired. And uh, you would like to know that. You'd like to say, where has God called me and gifted me? Well, I'd encourage you to sign up for this workshop. You can do it online or, or out at the Welcome Center after service. And in that workshop, we'll actually take like a spiritual gifts assessment test. We'll talk about it. And we'll talk about where God might have wired you to serve his local body. And it could be here at the church. It could be serving in outreach. It could be serving in missions around the world. So I'd encourage you guys, go ahead and sign up for that. That's coming up in just two weeks. But if everybody would stand. I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll sing a song. And then my wife, Rose, will come up and she'll, she'll close us out. All right, but let me pray. So God, I come to you and I thank you so much for Lighthouse Vineyard Church. I thank you for your word that shows us the humanness of the characters in scripture. It doesn't just show them all as heroes, even though they may end up being heroes. It shows the humanness because I know that I struggle with saying yes and I struggle with feeling like I'm adequate or gifted in certain areas. But God, I thank you for calling us. 
I thank you that everyone here is uniquely gifted and qualified to fulfill a role that you have for them in the kingdom. So God, as we sing this song, I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts on what that might be and where you're calling us to serve and even to lead. In Jesus' name. Thank you for enjoying the message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for being part of our family, and we'll see you next time.